get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Wednesday, January 31st, 2024. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, China and the U.S. have inaugurated an anti-narcotics working group in Beijing. Hamas says it's studying a proposal for a truce in Gaza. The U.S. House Committee on Homeland Security is considering articles of impeachment against the Homeland Security Secretary. In business, China's PMI numbers for January show improvement but remain in contraction territory. In sports, a late upset at the AFC Asian Cup. In culture and entertainment, China's top archaeological discoveries for 2023. Now checking the day's top stories. China and the U.S. have inaugurated a joint anti-narcotics working group in Beijing. It's part of the efforts to address the production, financing, and distribution of illicit drugs, especially the highly addictive fentanyl. Do Hongyu takes a look. The China-U.S. counter-narcotics working group is a major achievement from the meeting between Chinese State Councilor Wang Xiaohong and a U.S. interagency delegation led by Deputy Homeland Security Advisor Jen Daskal. Wang, who is also director of the China National Narcotic Control Committee, expressed the hope that both sides will take the important consensus reached between the two heads of states in San Francisco as the fundamental guideline and carry out anti-drug cooperation on the basis of mutual respect and mutual benefit. He called on the two sides to properly address each other's concerns, deepen law enforcement and security cooperation, and inject more positive energy into the stable, healthy, and sustainable development of China-U.S. relations. The U.S. delegation says the meeting will provide a platform to facilitate ongoing coordination designed to tackle the illicit production, financing, and distribution of illicit drugs. Fentanyl is a highly addictive synthetic opioid, up to 50 times more potent than heroin. Tuesday's meeting follows a key summit in San Francisco last November, where Chinese President Xi Jinping and his U.S. counterpart Joe Biden agreed to work to curb fentanyl production and export. That was Do, uh, Do Hongyu reporting. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi has reiterated China's support for multilateralism in the United Nations' central role in global governance. The senior diplomat made the remarks during his meeting with UN General Assembly President Dennis Francis in Beijing. Wang said China hopes this year's UN Summit of the Future will come up with feasible solutions for major issues of global concern. Dong Shui has more. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi said China will continue to support the United Nations as the global governor's system to play a greater role in accordance with the Charter for International Issues. Wang Yi made the remarks while hosting the visiting president of the UN General Assembly, Dennis Francis, in Beijing. Wang said China is a staunch advocate of multilateralism, defender of the UN Charter, and firm practitioner of international law. Despite the unprecedented challenges the world is facing, one said, China will always advocate an equal and orderly multipolar world and an economic globalization that benefits all. He said China will continue to stand firmly on the side of developing countries and make its own efforts to safeguard the legitimate rights of developing countries. 
For his part, Francis commended China's commitment to people-centered and sustainable development, which is highly in line with the UN vision. In September this year, the UN is set to hold a future summit aimed at promoting peace, stability, development, and prosperity of all countries. Francis said that anticipation about China's role is running high. He added that the United Nations is ready to deepen cooperation with China to jointly address global challenges and promote the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. Francis also mentioned his visit to Shanghai, where he inspected a poverty alleviation project. Where he said that the rest of the world, particularly the global South, could learn from China's unwavering focus on addressing development issues. As Dong Shui reporting, the Pacific Island country of Nauru marks its independence from Australia January 31st each year. On Wednesday, Nauruan President David Adeyang delivered a speech. During which he thanked the Chinese delegation for its participation on that special occasion. We also extend a special welcome to the delegation of the People's Republic of China, led by the Chairman of the China International Cooperation Agency. Your decision to be a part of our Independence Day festivities is a gesture we hold in high regard. We are deeply thankful for your willingness to include our national milestone in your demanding schedules. Please accept our heartfelt gratitude for your presence. Which adds considerable prestige to this occasion. Well, Adiang's message comes on the back of a flurry of diplomatic、uh, diplomatic activity that recently saw China reopen its embassy in Nauru after they resumed ties at the ambassadorial level.、Uh, Pan Dong sat down with Chan Bua, China's special envoy for Pacific Island countries, to discuss the significance of the diplomatic resumption and the potential for future cooperation. In recent decades, ties between the two countries have seen Twists and turns. So, how did the two sides manage to normalize ties this time? Is the recognition of the One China principle the core issue in the process? The resumption of diplomatic relations between China and Nauru has once again made it clear that there is but one China in the world. That the government of the People's Republic of China is the sole legitimate government representing the whole of China. And that Taiwan is an alienable part of China's territory. This is an undeniable fact, as well as a general consensus of the international community. Nauru, as a sovereign and independent country, has made this important decision on its own, for which we express our deep appreciation. China and Nauru are the world's third largest and third smallest countries. In terms of land area, respectively, however, China has always believed that all countries, regardless of their size, strength, or wealth, are equal members of the international community, have a say in international affairs, and have the right to achieve development and revitalization. The friendly exchanges between China and Nauru have a long history. The two peoples. Are good friends, and the two countries have never stopped exchanges in the field of economy and trade, culture, and people-to-people contacts. The Awu Port Upgrade Project and the Photovoltaic and Power Storage System Project are carried out by Chinese enterprises, contributing to Nauru's national construction. Given the exchanges and cooperation between China and Nauru. The resumption 
of diplomatic relations is in fact a natural result. What will the resumption of bilateral ties bring to the two countries and the two peoples? Nauru as an island country has rich marine and mineral resources. China has a super large market as well as capital, technology and talent advantages. The two countries have obvious complementarities. In recent years, Chinese products such as machine parts, semiconductor components and plastic tableware have gradually entered Nauru's market. And Nauru's equipment accessories and featured clothes are known to Chinese people. Now China and Nauru have officially resumed diplomatic relations. There is no longer any political obstacle for the two countries to cooperate. China is willing to make further cooperation with Nauru in areas of infrastructure, agriculture and fishery, clean energy, tourism, resource development, connectivity, and promote exchanges of governance and bring real benefits to the two peoples. Nauru has expressed its intention to join Belt and Road Cooperation at an early date and to actively participate in the cooperation under GDI. China welcomes Nauru to join those two initiatives. Small island countries like Nauru face special difficulties in addressing climate change. China stands ready to work with Nauru to promote the implementation of consensus reached at the United Nations Climate Change Conference, that is COP28, to uphold the rights and interests of developing countries and to boost full and effective implementation of the Paris Agreement. Well, that was Chen Bo, China's special envoy for Pacific Island Countries Affairs, ending that interview. Coming up, Hamas is studying a three-phase proposal for peace in Gaza. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platforms and get ready to dive in. Right, 11 minutes past the hour. Hamas has confirmed that it's studying a three-phase proposal for a truce in Gaza. The Palestinian group's political leader, Ismail Haniyeh, said in a statement that the group is open to discussing any serious and practical initiatives or ideas, provided that they lead to a complete cessation of hostilities. Hamas also said that the plan must ensure the complete withdrawal of Israeli forces from the Gaza Strip. Meantime, media reports say a Hamas delegation is set to travel to Egypt to discuss the peace deal. Noor Harazin has more. Hamas from their side, they said that they are reviewing this uh, truce uh, plan. Hamas, who is now residing in Qatar, said that they also got an invitation to go to Cairo to discuss the implementation of this truce. But here is the thing. Hamas has repeatedly said that they will not accept any truce unless Israel stops a tour on Gaza completely and the Israeli army, the Israeli troops withdraw from the coastal uh, enclave. On the other 
other hand, we have Israel who said that they will not stop oper the, their operation until they end Hamas control on Gaza. So um, it is still not clear if there will uh, be a real truce agreement, a ceasefire in the upcoming days, maybe weeks. But uh, we do know the position of the uh, two uh, sides. The Israeli warplanes um, launched several uh, strikes on the city on central Gaza City and on densely populated areas like the uh, Ashifa surrounding the Ashifa hospital. Again, the Israeli uh, warplanes and the Israeli army started a new round of uh, attacks on the same areas. It's Noor Harazin reporting. A Palestinian media say Israeli forces stormed Al-Amal Hospital in Khan Yunis in the southern Gaza Strip on Tuesday, where thousands of Palestinians have sought refuge. In the past days, the area around the hospital has come under intense Israeli shelling. Dozens of Palestinians have been killed or injured and hundreds displaced. But Israel's denied the report. In the meantime, in the occupied West Bank, Israeli special forces disguised as medical staff and civilians killed three Palestinians inside of a hospital. John Gambrell has more. There's been dramatic surveillance footage that caught this attack by Israeli troops inside of a hospital in Janine in the occupied West Bank. Now, the footage showed basically these, uh, these troops coming inside of the hospital. Some were dressed as doctors, others were dressed as women with the hijab headscarf, all had assault rifles. They quickly detained one man, pushed him up against the wall and searched him while others went deeper into the hospital. They apparently found three men they were looking for that they described as Hamas operatives and opened fire and killed them. One thing to note, though, the hospital staff there say that those men who were inside of the hospital did not exchange fire with the Israelis, signaling that this likely was a targeted killing by the Israeli forces. Now, Israel has faced a lot of criticism during the war so far over its conduct in hospitals in the Gaza Strip. It besieged one that really was a dramatic scene that really sparked international criticism. But the attack that we've seen in the West Bank is something entirely different. The West Bank is not involved directly in these ongoing hostilities, but we've still seen over 380 Palestinians killed there by Israeli security forces since the war began. And there's a wider concern that this could turn into a two-front war for Israel if those tensions escalate further. And it could also set off more regional confrontations for Israel. Meanwhile, we've heard interesting comments from both Hamas and Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu about these proposed ceasefire framework. From the Hamas side, their supreme leader said that they had accepted, they had received this ceasefire framework. They were looking at it, but hadn't made any decision yet. They said that they still wanted to see Israeli troops out of Gaza and stop in the fighting before they would release these hostages. Now, meanwhile, from Netanyahu's side, we heard more hardline remarks from him. He insisted that the Israelis were looking for a total victory against Hamas, and he said any deal would not involve the release of what he described as thousands of terrorists. And that's important because typically these hostage deals see a smaller number of hostages released for a, a ten, for you know more of the Palestinian prisoners held within jails in Israel. So as of right now, there's still a pause in this. We haven't seen any real movement towards an actual ceasefire yet, 
but the pressure is growing, both on Hamas, which has lost a number of uh, troops since this war began. They've also have gone through a lot of their munitions as well, according to analysts. Meanwhile, from Netanyahu's side, he's facing political pressure inside of his own government. One of his ministers said that he would resign if this deal went through and let out Palestinian prisoners. That could topple Netanyahu's government, potentially, as he faces internal uh, political problems in the country. That was John Gambrell reporting. Multiple UN agencies and international organizations have issued a statement highlighting the uh, catastrophic consequences of cutting off funding to the UN's Palestinian refugee agency, UNRWA. At a recent Security Council meeting, Senior Humanitarian and Reconstruction Coordinator for Gaza, Sigrid Kog, said UNRWA cannot be replaced, despite the allegations against some staff. Jody Jacobs has more from New York. Following a resolution passed in December, Segret Kahn was appointed by the UN Secretary General with a clear mandate to establish a UN mechanism for accelerating humanitarian aid to Gaza. Following a closed-door Security Council meeting on Tuesday, Kahn addressed reporters for the first time in her capacity as the UN Senior Humanitarian Coordinator for Gaza. She says she is working extremely hard to remove the obstacles in getting much-needed aid into the Palestinian enclave. We're also obviously discussing on behalf of the humanitarian community uh, what would be the basic humanitarian commodities and goods that ought to be allowed into Gaza. And then you have a wide category within. Um, Equally so, as I said, commercial goods need to be allowed back in. There'll be no recovery, let alone reconstruction in future, without that broad bandwidth. But these are not necessarily discussions we can resolve from one day to the next. Several nations have paused funding to the UN's Palestinian Relief Agency in response to allegations that 12 staff members participated in the October 7th Hamas attacks on Israel. Responding to the pauses to UNRWA funding, Kach made it clear that there is no alternative source to carry out the humanitarian work done by the aid agency. She says she hopes that there's a resolution to the funding impasse, especially as ANWA has reported its current funding might run out as early as February. Donor countries, of course, have set their parameters and also have, give, uh, have given clarity. It's an ongoing discussion. There's no substitution for the humanitarian role that is played in Gaza. We need to all ramp up given the totality of needs and the scale and the complexity of the crisis, but there's no substitution. But the U.S. says its funding to UNRWA will remain paused until a comprehensive and independent assessment and review of UNRWA is done. We need to see fundamental uh, changes before we can resume providing uh, funding directly to UNRWA. And as you know, um, we shouldn't let that cloud the great work that UNRWA does. UNRWA has provided essential humanitarian assistance to the Palestinian people, and UNRWA is the only organization on the ground that has the capacity to continue to provide that assistance. The UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, is holding talks with major donors to UNRWA on Tuesday, hoping to convince them to reconsider their decision to pause funding. A group of leading international aid agencies and NGOs have also called on those countries to reaffirm support for the vital work the UN agency does in Gaza and the region.
That was Jody Jacobs reporting. U.S. President Joe Biden says he's decided on a response to Sunday's drone strike in Jordan that killed three American troops. He says he holds Iran responsible for supplying the weapons to the people who carried out the deadly attack on a military base. The White House warned that multiple actions were likely in retaliation. This was the first fatal attack on U.S. forces in the region since the Israeli-Palestinian war broke out last October. The militant group is Islamic resistance in Iraq has claimed responsibility. Uh, Tehran's denied any links to the drone strike and said that, like Washington, it was not seeking an expansion of conflict. Uh, meantime, the Chinese foreign ministry has called for calm and restraint and avoiding a vicious cycle of retaliation. Coming up, House Republicans in the U.S. are a step closer to impeaching the Homeland Security Secretary. The world is about to change. Warriors, assassins, fair maidens, court officials, and even emperors and heavenly immortals are nothing but pawns on a giant chessboard. Xu Fengnian, a playboy of national notoriety and heir to the empire's second most powerful man, finds himself embroiled in the depths of unbeatable game. CGTN Radio invites you to immerse in a world brimming with heroism and follow a young man's odyssey in the audio drama series, The Sword Strider Saga. Now available on radio.cgtn.com and all the major podcast platforms. When courage meets wisdom, the sword scribes an immortal legend. 21 minutes past the hour. The U.S. House Committee on Homeland Security is considering articles of impeachment for Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas over his handling of the influx of migrants crossing the U.S. border from Mexico. Mayorkas has defended his actions and argued that Congress has failed to provide the administration the tools and legal authority needed to address the issues at the border. Caroline Malone has more from Washington. Members of a House committee accuse the Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas of not abide by his job, not abiding by immigration law, uh, by breaking the law, by not better protecting the U.S. border, and also of losing public trust because he hasn't been willing to be part of oversight being put forward by his own department and committee members of the House. Now, he's pushed back against those allegations. He said in a long letter to members of Congress on Tuesday, that he has provided thousands of pages of documents, that he has been willing to appear before Congress, and that he absolutely will not let this distract him from the very important job that he continues to do to protect the US border. Now, something like 10,000 people are trying to illegally cross US borders every day at the moment in the United States. They are usually stopped by border agents and end up at detention centers. Those are overflowing with people, and that's part of the contentious issue, particularly for people living in border states states where this has become very challenging. But Democrats in Congress have pointed out that the Republicans don't have enough of a case. They don't have enough facts to push this towards an impeachment of Mayorkas. They say this is just um, a difference of 
opinion about policy and how to treat this very important border security issue. There is at the same time discussions ongoing about a border security bill by senators. President Biden asked Congress at the end of last year to push forward more funding for Israel and Ukraine. Republicans wanted that tied with border security money and they're pushing for more funding for the border. So a bipartisan group has been negotiating that and has come all the way to getting more than 90% of a draft deal done. However, we're now hearing from Republicans that because their presumptive Republican candidate for president, Donald Trump, the former president, doesn't necessarily agree with this bill, it's unlikely to go forward anymore. But it's such an important issue that even President Biden has been speaking at events recently and saying if he was able to shut down the border, if Congress gave him approval, then he would. But he wants to see that bill passed because he sees that as the best way forward for protecting the U.S. border. That was Caroline Malone reporting from Washington. The number of migrants crossing into the U.S. at the border with Mexico is down from the record high numbers seen last month. The surge has left some U.S. cities struggling to provide shelter. Dan Williams has more in Chicago. This is the newly established so-called migrant landing zone in downtown Chicago. More than 35,000 migrants have been sent to Chicago from Texas since 2022. Most arrive on buses. Often, the migrants have no idea where they are going. There are roughly some 14,000 migrants currently housed in one of Chicago's 28 shelters. Matt DeMatteo is the CEO of New Life Centers, a church-based nonprofit that supports new arrivals into Chicago. Rather than get caught up in this us-them battle and demonizing people for trying to fight for a better life, how do we welcome, with them, welcome them, love them, and provide them hope and opportunity? It's a huge operation. This is Panda Vida, the organization's food pantry in Chicago's little village. While staff at this warehouse prepare to deliver furniture for migrants in longer-term accommodation, they help settle some 60 families a day. 35 to 36,000 have come to Chicago since September 1st. Uh, we've moved a third of them into apartments now. The building of this landing zone in Chicago indicates that local authorities believe the arrival of migrants on buses is likely to continue for some time to come. And if that is the case, then further resources will be needed in the long term. I meet Edward, a migrant who arrived in Chicago in 2022 from Venezuela. The cartels stopped us. They were dressed as police, with police cars and everything, but with military-grade weapons. We were 60 people and we got kidnapped. Edward and his family escaped the drug gangs and eventually found safety in Chicago. He believes much more needs to be done across the country to better prepare for the new arrivals. There should be more facilities like this one, distributed all around because there are many, many people. The help that people get here, you don't get anywhere else. In December last year, more than 300,000 migrants crossed the US-Mexico border, a monthly record. It means the demand for resources is likely to increase yet further. So this is being carried by the city and state and the resources aren't unlimited. And so our challenge is, as we look to the future, how do we create a sustainable model? We really need federal intervention and support to be able to sustain this. 
The challenge to house migrants remains, but operations like this one are working hard to meet it. That was Dan Williams on the U.S.-Mexico migrant issue. The United States says it'll reinstate sanctions on Venezuela. The decision comes after Venezuela's Supreme Court banned opposition candidates from running in presidential elections that are scheduled for later this year. Mary Trinimenia has more from Caracas. The White House has confirmed it will end the easing of sanctions on Venezuela beginning in the middle of February. This comes after Venezuela's Supreme Court upheld a 15-year ban on presidential hopeful Maria Corina Machado, who is the main candidate for the opposition. The top court also confirmed the ineligibility of her possible replacement two-time presidential candidate Enrique Capriles. Neither of them can run in this year's expected presidential election. For the United States, the ruling by Venezuela's Supreme Court of Justice prevents what it says is a competitive, free and fair election. The decision by the country's top court came on the same day several opposition figures were detained. The Treasury Department warned U.S. companies doing business with Venezuela's state-owned mining firm Minerven to finish winding down their dealings with the company by February 30th. Last October, the United States granted some relief to sanctions that were in place on the oil and gas sector. Now, according to White House officials, the six-month sanctions freeze will not be renewed when the agreement ends in April. The Venezuelan government and the opposition had established a separate political agreement, including the participation of international observers and reviewing the ban on several opposition candidates. The deal is now in question. Venezuelan officials have said they are willing to keep talking. However, the court's ruling cannot be modified. That was Mary Trinimenia in Venezuela. Beijing's down to minus 6 on Wednesday evening. Thursday will be cloudy with the high of minus 1. Nanchung has moderate rainfall and 9 degrees uh, this evening. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, China and the U.S. have inaugurated an anti-narcotics working group in Beijing. Shane Bigham with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music Talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. An General Railway Company, Deutsche Director of the International Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you are a rookie, 你好, or a sophisticated learner, 我来北京五年了, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. 
This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Wednesday. Still to come in business, China's PMI numbers for January show improvement, but remain in contraction territory. In sports, a late upset at the AFC Asian Cup. In culture and entertainment, China's top archaeological discoveries for 2023. To contact us, you can email radio at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. First of all, with the day's headline news, here's Tian Lu. Thank you, Shane. The Chinese mainland has called on Taiwan's Democratic Progressive Party authorities to abandon the so-called independence approach. Spokesperson Chen Binghua of the State Council Taiwan Affairs Office says the results of Taiwan's recent leadership and legislature elections show that peace and cooperation is the mainstream public view in Taiwan. The election results in the Taiwan region fully demonstrate that the mainstream public on the island wants peace rather than war, development rather than recession, exchanges rather than alienation, and cooperation rather than confrontation. After the elections, most Taiwan compatriots hope to improve and develop cross-strait relations, but they are worried that DPP will continue to pursue so-called independence provocations and aggravate the tension across the Taiwan Strait. If the DPP refuses to repent, deviates from public opinion and continues to pursue the evil path of independence provocations and the old path of cross-strait confrontation, it will only push Taiwan into a more dangerous situation. Chen also noted that Beijing has seen recent reports that Tuvalu may re-evaluate its relations with Taipei as the Pacific Island nation has so-called official ties with the Taiwan region. The spokesperson said adhering to the One China principle is a prevailing consensus in the international community. A court has sentenced former Pakistani Prime Minister Imran Khan and his wife Bushra Bibi to 14 years in prison each in a case related to illegal selling of state gifts. The media team of Khan's political party said the verdict also includes a 10-year disqualification from holding public office. The sentencing by an anti-graft court in Islamabad comes a day after Khan was handed a 10-year jail term in another case for allegedly leaking state secrets. The decisions come a week before the country's general elections on February the 8th. Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida says he is determined to make a clear break from money politics as he renewed an apology for the latest major corruption scandal in the governing party. His policy speech had been due last week when the new parliamentary session opened, but Kishida broke with tradition and instead faced an intensive session on the scandal first. There is no stability in politics without the trust of the public. And that trust is wavering. As the president of the Liberal Democratic Party, it is extremely regrettable that the issue of political funds has caused the public to cast suspicion on the LDP. And I sincerely apologize for this. We have decided that the policy group would completely break away from money and HR. Kashida gave no further explanation about the scandal or how the money was spent. Opposition lawmakers have pressed for him to disclose details. Kashida said he needed to regain public trust, citing challenges including a deadly earthquake on New Year's Day and the economy. He also pledged to further expand and deepen Japan-U.S. relations. A new survey shows that Britain could face an uphill battle if it tries to grow its army. 
The survey by a research firm YouGov shows that 30% of British citizens aged between 18 and 40 say they would refuse to join the army under any circumstances, while 23% would consider joining only if it's compulsory. Around 20% are uncertain and 11% expressed a willingness to volunteer. The survey follows Army Chief General Patrick Sanders' call for so-called citizen force. Sanders highlighted the threat posed by the Russia-Ukraine conflict, emphasizing the role of citizen armies in winning wars. His statement has sparked speculation that the government might call for compulsory service, but the government says conscription is not on the table. Tourism disruptions continue at Peru's Machu Picchu after the government suspended talks with protesters who were against the privatization of ticket sales to the country's most visited attraction. Protesting villagers who blockaded the only railway linking Machu Picchu and the region's capital, preventing visitors from reaching the site by train. They're angry at the Ministry of Culture's decision to transfer ticket selling rights to a private firm. Culture Minister Leste Otiga emphasized the need for a lasting resolution. We had not requested a truce. What we communicated on Sunday is that the table of dialogue was initiated. As long as the strike is lifted, as long as it's lifted in a normal way, not for 12 hours or for 24 hours. The disruption is costing millions of U.S. dollars. Prime Minister Alberto Otorola has said he would not accept any request from the protesters and that those who block the railway may be jailed for up to 15 years. New evidence suggests that playing a musical instrument could be a major key to fighting dementia. A study by the University of Exeter in Britain has found that people who have had a lifetime of playing music or singing in a choir are likely to have a better memory and brain health. The study involved over a 1,000 people aged 40 and above and compared their musical participation to their brain function. Professor Anne Corbett is the author of the study. The brain is like a muscle. You have to train it, challenge it. Use it or lose it, and I think that is what we're seeing here in these people. But not all instruments bring the same level of benefit to the brain. The study shows the best results were from people who play the piano. All right, thank you very much. That was Tian Lu with Headline News. This is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China's PMI numbers for January show improvement, but remain in contraction territory. You're listening to The Beijing Hour. 60 minutes of comprehensive news, your window on China and the world. Around 38 past the hour now, turning to business, and here's Wang Zihang. Thank you, Shane. The Chinese mainland markets closed lower on Wednesday. Timothy Pope has more. The Shanghai Composite Index fell 1.5% to end back below 2,800 points. The Shenzhen component lost another 2%. And the uh, general market blues at the moment are running into the seasonal pre-spring festival slowdown now as well. The latest manufacturing PMI data uh, did reveal a very slight uptick in factory output. The PMI was uh, at 49.2, up from 49.0 in December. Uh, the data too is uh, impacted by the Lunar New Year. Many of those factories have already already shut and started to send workers home for the holiday. Uh, Sector-wise, most sectors were trading lower again, uh, although there were some modest gains for financials, energy companies and utilities operators. Uh, They were very much concentrated among uh, major, major names, large cap firms. 
There was Timothy Pope in Shanghai. Elsewhere in Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index dropped nearly 1.4 percent. In Japan, the Nikkei increased more than 0.6 percent. Official data shows that the purchasing managers' index for China's manufacturing sector came in at 49.2 in January, up from 49 in December. The figure rebounded after a three-month decline, indicating an improvement in manufacturing activity. According to the National Bureau of Statistics, factories saw accelerated production and an increase in new orders in January. The purchasing manager index of major sectors such as equipment, high tech, and consumer goods are all in expansion territory. Meanwhile, the PMI for the non-manufacturing sector reached 50.7, up 0.3 percent points from December. The manufacturing PMI is a gauge of business sentiment among larger factory operators. The 50-point mark is the dividing line between expansion and contraction. For more on the PMI figures, Guan Xin spoke with Li Yong, chief researcher at DNC Think Tank. So, what do the PMI readings reveal about the overall economic activity in the country?、Uh, first of all, I think the headline number trended, uh, uh, you know, within、uh, with, with the uh, expected uh, uh, within the expected、uh, direction, and uh, the forty-nine point two. Uh, reading, I think, is better than the、uh, December. I think that has stopped,、uh, ended the three consecutive、uh, months of decline, and that I think is an indication of、uh, of more signs of uh, positive uh, factors uh, that uh, I think will indicate indicate uh, the gradual um,、uh, recovery of the uh, uh, of the economy. And、uh, I think、uh, this is also consistent with the、uh, uh, policies and plans being staged by the national and local uh, governments to uh, uh, to, uh, to 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 develop the economy for the rest of the year. And one other factor、uh, that I would like to mention is the seasonal factor, which is. Normally,、uh, in general, if the Spring Festival in February, normally the、uh, the January reading is going to be a decline. But、uh, you know, this January's reading is better than the、uh, last last September. So、uh, this is also an indication of the uh, uh, of the improvement in the economic in the overall economic uh, uh, performance. And to break down the numbers, China's manufacturing PMI has been consistently around the 50-point level, while the non-manufacturing sector has shown stronger performance for some time. So, what are the underlying factors contribute to this trend? Well, I think、um, you know this is really related to、uh, you know if you read the numbers, the uh, production index uh, obviously. Uh, you know, outperforms.、Uh, you know, in terms of a, 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 in comparison with the other uh, indices. So uh, uh, this is actually the result of the、uh, of the government policies.、Um, you know, staged uh, uh, late last year and the beginning of this year, and that I think has boosted the confidence of the manufacturing、uh, sector. That was Li Yong, chief researcher at DNC Think Tank, ending that conversation. High-tech innovation is significantly impacting the development of China's new energy vehicle sector. 
Data from the China Association of Automobile Manufacturers shows that the NEV sales accounted for a third of the total vehicle sales in 2023. Jiang Shuxuan spoke with corporate executives to learn more about tech innovation. On China's roads, electric vehicles can be easily identified by their special green plates. They have become increasingly common. More than 20 million NEVs are now running on China's roads. Though that's just six percent of the total car numbers in the country, NEVs have been taking an increasing share of vehicle sales. One of the most obvious outcomes from the tech development has been lowering costs. Chinese AI tech giant SenseTime has been one of the leading players using AI to provide applications like high-speed driving assistance without needing to use too much computing power. We launched a new function last year. High-speed driving assistance. More car makers will prefer to have functions developed on chip computing platforms of medium and low cost. It's of huge market opportunities. That application has lately been installed in a car model produced by a Chinese NEV startup. We were the first in China when we announced mass production of a car model that has premium high-speed driving assistance on ATI chip. As of last June, SenseTime's tech has been applied to more than 60 car models. Big-name car makers, including Saic Motor, JAC Motor, and Neo, are all using it. More than 36 million units have been equipped with its tech products. Every year, there would be a new tech solution. That's a huge breakthrough compared with the traditional car industry, where big-name car makers would require three to six years to confirm the application of a new tech. Our company now has more than 50,000 GPUs. Sensato is now using more than 10,000 units for a solution using big AI models. It has to be trained with several hundred GPUs in several weeks or even a month. If we have adequate computing power, we can conduct multiple experiments together and test solutions with higher requirement for computing power. SenseTime now has computing centers in multiple big cities. At the beginning of 2022, the company started the operation of its artificial intelligence data center in Shanghai, one of the biggest of its kind in Asia. These have allowed the company to train large AI models to make smarter driving systems. Which is the next major task for the tech developer, according to China Association of Automobile Manufacturers, new energy vehicles maintained strong momentum in both production and sales, both reaching 9.5 million, presenting an increase of more than one third. That was Jiang Shixuan on high-tech innovation in China's NEV sector. Chinese authorities say they will continue to strengthen market supervision and implement measures to optimize the business environment. Deputy Director Pu Chun of the State Administration of Market Regulation says they will take a series of measures to offer more support for business entities. We will employ ways, including credit records-based supervision and smart supervision, to enhance the efficiency of ongoing and ex-post oversights, creating a favorable environment that is free from disturbances and responsive to business demands. We will accelerate the building of a unified national market, eliminate administrative monopolies and local protectionism, remove policies and measures that hinder the building of a unified market and a fair competition, and protect the independent management rights of business entities. 
The market regulator says they will leverage the scale advantages of large enterprises to enhance their core competitiveness while protecting the development and innovation vitality of micro, small, and medium-sized enterprises. And finally, the International Monetary Fund has upgraded the global growth forecast to 3.1% in 2024, 0.2 points higher than the projection last October. The IMF says the upward revision reflects upgrades for China and the United States and large emerging markets and developing economies. It also says the projection for global growth in the next two years is below the historical annual average of 3.8% between the years 2000 and 2019. Thank you, very, thank you very much. That was Wang Zihang with Business. You're listening to the Beijing Hour and coming up in sports, a late upset at the AFC Asian Cup. Sideline Story brings you all things sports-related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. At 48 past the hour now. Turning to sports, here's Yang Guang. Thank you, Shane. In the AFC Asian Cup, South Korea advanced to the quarterfinals some penalties, beating Saudi Arabia after a stoppage time equalizer in regulation. Roberto Mancini's Saudi side led 1-0 deep into added time through Abdullah Radif's 46th-minute strike. South Korea put in its attacking power for a desperate equalizer, and it paid off one minute from time. Cho Gye-sun leveled the game with the header to send it into extra time before goalkeeper Cho Hyun-woo saved the two spot kicks in the shootout. South Korea coach Jürgen Klinsmann. This is a group of players that I personally, as a as a coach, enjoy so much working with because they badly want to do well for their country. You know, they have a lot of heart. Uh, and that's what they showed the second half. They showed that in the extra time, we wanted to win the game badly before penalty. We didn't count on the penalty shootout because anything can happen in a penalty shootout. Mancini walked off before the end of his team's losing penalty shootout, drawing heavy criticism by the Saudi Arabian Football Association. The Italian coach said it was a mistake. Ah, no, I apologize for this because I thought it was finished. I didn't want to miss respect from anyone. And about this, I think that I want to say thank you all my players for what they did. They are improved a lot. South Korea set up a quarter-final clash with Australia on Friday. Uzbekistan also marched into the last eight after beating Thailand 2-1. The Africa Cup of Nations saw another upset as Morocco became the latest big name to crash out with a 2-0 loss to South Africa in the round of 16. Ashraf Hakimi missed a late penalty which could have leveled the match before South, Korea, uh, South Africa scored from a free kick in stoppage time to seal the deal. World Cup semi-finalist Morocco was without wingers Hakim Zayek and Sufiane Bufal both injured in the win over Zambia. South Africa next plays Cape Verde in the last state. Meantime, Mali held on to beat Burkina Faso 2-1 to set up a quarter-final match against the tournament host Cote d'Ivoire. None of the eight quarter-finalists in the last edition of AFCON have made it to the last state this time, nor have any of the five African teams that played at the 2022 World Cup. 
The English Premier League resumed action from a short winter break with some impressive performances. Arsenal kept pressure on leaders Liverpool at the top with a 2-1 victory against Nottingham Forest. The Gunners jumped into second place two points behind the Reds. Aston Villa has been the big surprise this season, but the side's Champions League hopes dampened after a 3-1 loss to Newcastle. There were five games on Tuesday and 16 goals were scored, three of them coming from Luton striker Ilya Adebayor in the 4-0 thrashing in Brighton that lifted his team out of the relegation zone. Adebayor's first came after just 18 seconds and it was barely the quickest of the night, with Ben Breton Diaz scoring just after 21 seconds for Sheffield United in its 3-2 loss at Crystal Palace. Argentina will play exhibition games against Nigeria and the Cote d'Ivoire in China next month, making it Lionel Messi's second trip to China within a year. The Argentina Football Association says the national team will play Nigeria in Hangzhou and the Cote d'Ivoire in Beijing during a tour of China from March 18th to 26th. Organizers haven't announced the dates of the matches. Messi and Argentina visited China in June last year and played against Australia in a friendly in Beijing. Ivan Rakitic is the latest football player to leave Europe for Saudi Arabia, moving from Spanish club Sevilla to Al-Shabaab. Sevilla announced his deal on Tuesday, ending the Croatian player stint with the club over two separate periods. It was an emotional farewell for the 35-year-old Rakitic, as he's the player with the second most official appearances in the current Sevilla squad after Jesus Navas. Sevilla is struggling this season and sits just outside relegation zone in the Spanish league. The Russian figure skating team has been stripped off the points earned by Kamilia Valieva at the team event of the Beijing 2022 Winter Olympics after the 18-year-old's doping case. But the country still stands to finish third on the podium ahead of Canada. The U.S. has moved into the golden, uh, gold medal position with Japan upgraded to silver from bronze. The Court of Arbitration for Sports earlier disqualified Valieva from the 2022 Olympics and the other events and banned her for four years until December 2025. She tested positive for a banned substance in the sample taken in December 2021 at the Russian National Championships. And finally, the best three-point shooters of the NBA and the WNBA will meet in this year's NBA All-Star Weekend. Stephen Curry will take on Sabrina Ionescu as part of All-Star Saturday night in Indianapolis on February the 17th. Curry will shoot from the NBA three-point line with NBA basketballs, and Ionescu will shoot with the WNBA's ball from a closer range, with bragging rights and a lot of cash for charity at stake. Ionescu scored an almost perfect 37 points in the WNBA's three-point contest last summer. That topped Curry's NBA three-point contest best of 31. Right, thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with sports. Coming up in culture and entertainment, China's top archaeological discoveries for 2020. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China, and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports, and entertainment. In-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world. 
11.54 past the hour now, turning to culture and entertainment. The Chinese Academy of Social Sciences has listed six prominent archaeological findings discovered in China last year. The oldest of the findings dates back to the Paleolithic period in fragments and stoneware and animal fossils found in Sichuan, which proves traces of human activity dating back more than 50,000 years. The findings also include artifacts from the Shang Dynasty in Shanxi and relics in the Tongan Song period from Xinjiang. A city ruins from 1,000 years ago in Inner Mongolia also made the shortlist. China's cinematic authorities have told movie distributors not to interfere with theater screenings amid a fierce competition in the upcoming Spring Festival movie season. The China Film Producers Association says no organization can manipulate the screening market. This came after media reports that uh, film studios requested that theaters guarantee a minimum screening rate for their productions. Otherwise, they'd reportedly pull their films from the cinema. Uh, nine new domestic movies are set for a Spring Festival premiere this year, including Jung Emo's Article 20, The Movie Emperor, and Pegasus 2, and pre-sales of those new releases has kicked off. Every January, the Swiss Alps hosts an international balloon festival, a sky-high party for pilots globally. For over 40 years, this festival celebrated balloon enthusiasts who love the crisp winter air and stunning mountain views. Uh, Julia Lubova has more. Colorful hot air balloons dotted in the sky soaring above the mountains. It is this scenery, perfect winter conditions and enchanting beauty of the surroundings that attract international pilots every year to Chateau d'Air, a small alpine town in Switzerland. The festival features nearly 100 balloons and attracts thousands of visitors and hot air balloon enthusiasts. For many pilots, it is a unique opportunity not to be missed. This is a dream to be here in Switzerland and fly um, over the Alps, uh, absolute dream. It's a challenge to fly an area like this because it takes, uh, takes some skill and some thinking um, to fly high and around mountains. Chateaudet is holy ground for us. Um, it's one of the main um, balloon meetings in the world, together with Cindy Class and Albuquerque in the US. It is a burst of color in the sky as every balloon is different from the other. The teams line up their balloons at the launch pad throughout the day and take off with passengers for a dreamy flight. This year, it is the first time the festival is back since the COVID-19 pandemic and tourists from around the world flock to the area for the unmissable spectacle. I've uh, known this festival since I uh, arrived in Switzerland, but this is just my very first time to come here. Most especially because this is one of uh, my uh, one in my bucket list. Yeah, we are quite excited because uh, it was a chance that we are in Zurich and uh, we uh, get a chance to visit this uh, festival. So I'm yeah, we are excited, and uh, we have also purchased a ticket for a boarding on the balloon. So I'm uh, looking forward for it. <laughs> Some of the balloons at the festival are of unusual shapes and take an extra skill to fly. Many pilots and enthusiasts come to the festival for its history. The festival has been taking place for 44 years and it's getting bigger every year. That was Julia Lubova in Switzerland.
And uh, two-time Tony Award winner Cheetah Rivera, a legendary Broadway singer and actor, has died at the age of 91. Rivera's daughter announced the death and uh, said the star uh, died in New York after a brief illness. Rivera first gained wide notice in 1957 in the original production of West Side Story. 58 past the hour, Beijing down to minus 6 on Wednesday evening. Thursday will be cloudy with a high of minus 1. Nanchung has moderate rainfall in 9 tonight. Uh, tomorrow, a slight rain with a high of 12. Elsewhere in Asia, Islamabad has rain in 9 this evening. Thursday, sunny in 13. Vientiane's at 20 overnight, then sunny in 32. Phnom Penh's 23 overnight. Tomorrow is cloudy in 34. In Africa, Nairobi will see cloudy skies with a high of 27 degrees on Thursday. Kampala's at 19 overnight, then and uh, overcast conditions in 28. Uh, Juba has uh, 22 degrees and over or 22 tonight and overcast in 35 tomorrow. That's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, China and the U.S. have inaugurated an anti-narcotics working group in Beijing, and Hamas says it's studying a, a proposal for a truce in Gaza. On behalf of the staff, Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Takeaway Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Takeaway Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. From North to South, East to West, people in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. 